Welcome everybody to episode 193 of the Metabilis 2 podcast featuring David and Ben. Hey David. How are you doing? I am good. How are you? Doing great. Doing how really was good. Your, how, was your, how was your Christmas? Oh, it's nice. It was uh, pretty laid back. Excellent. How was your Christmas? Pretty good. Good. Pretty good. Pretty good for a house full of people. Sounds kind of nice. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of nice. No, uh, Christmas is always nice. I like Christmas. Did you do any uh, special roasting or baking or anything? Or? Uh, we made a ham. Very nice. Yep, yep. It's good to make a ham. What do you serve along with ham in uh, English Christmas? Uh, I mean, t- t- turkey ah. is what you're supposed to have, but um, mm-hmm. we, we had turkey at Thanksgiving, you see, so... So mm-hmm. ham's a good compromise. No plum pudding? or Oh, yeah, no, Christmas pudding, definitely. Okay. Goodness, what are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> ridiculous, ridiculous concept that we wouldn't have Christmas pudding. Mm. No, I mean, I'm pretty much the only person who likes it, but, you know, you can't really have Christmas without pudding. So. Well, as we learned in Chimes of Midnight, Christmas wouldn't be Christmas without Exactly. exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm fully expecting <laughs> for the, um, the, uh, the next RTD Christmas episode for there to be deadly Christmas puddings that attack everybody. We've had Santas, we've had Christmas trees, it's going to be puddings next. It'd be a rootin', rootin' in disguise. Oh yeah, that's not bad, we should pitch that to him. <laughs> next time we catch RTD in an elevator. Next time we see him. Christmas pudding, rootin's. There you go, exactly. When I, yeah, when I'm, in the, when I'm in the lift with him at Gallifrey yep. 1, I'm like, come on, come on Russell, <laughs> you've got to listen to me. Yep. Yeah. Well, hey, hey, what are we what are we going to talk about this podcast? I believe our listener has requested <laughs> that we talk about um, the recent re-release or recent re-release, the recent release of the Evil of the Daleks. Oh, the animation! The animation on on mm. shiny DVD or Blu-ray disc. Yes, mm-hmm. fully. Did you watch it on the shiny DVD? Right. I I watched it on shiny DVDs. Yes. Um, you, you watch it on shiny shiny Blu-rays, right? Actually, I, I I'm I'm waiting for Blu-rays until they come out in the season uh, box sets. So okay. I did get it on DVD. It's a lot easier to watch on a computer. Okay, and it's and it's it is really uh, for Blu-ray on a Mac. Well, Macs don't oh, Macs. really okay. support Blu-rays that well. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, as we yeah no, it's again, it's constantly amazing how the technology gets worse rather than better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were just talking about your new laptop doesn't have a USB port for Yeah, cuz because why should the it? Old Yeti Blue. Exactly. Why should it? And yeah, it's and it doesn't have any way to play discs either, of course. Um, cuz <laughs> why would that be something people would want to do, you know? Anyway, yeah, yeah whatever. Yeah, yeah, technology. Technology, technology advancing um, backwards. <laughs> yeah, so I I have the I have the I have the um the swanky UK edition. Do you have the American release? As do I. No, I I get it day and date from the UK when Amazon lets me. I'm still waiting for the Abominable Snowman to be green lit uh, so I can order it from the UK. The order from the UK. Yeah. 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 Have it shipped to the US. Right now, it's a region limited to only the British Isles. Yeah. Well, I was lucky enough to be in the United Kingdom of Great Britain um, and Northern Ireland um, uh, a few months ago, so I was able to pick up all of the new DVD releases, which Mm -hmm. I was very pleased to do. Yeah, I think it's good. It's good to go into a store, a shop, and buy them physically because that encourages, I don't know, 
I fondly imagine that that encourages people to continue releasing these things in in a physical format into shops rather than you know. It's also good to support the local shops on high streets. So. I think so. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Rather than Jeff Bezos, who really has enough money at this point. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. If there was a high street shop that actually shipped to the U- USA, it would be uh, good to know. But yeah, it's true. it's tricky. Like HMV won't. He really? Do it, so. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. It's funny. I mean, I obviously, I guess we're getting on, on a tangent here, but, yeah. you know, obviously I get a lot of stuff from the UK and it's kind of amazing how shipping charges wildly vary. And mm-hmm. the way that some, that some, and this is a lot of you know, people from eBay, basically, and some people are just kind of, appear to be frightened to put something in an envelope and send it to America, which is like, okay, well, it's just mm-hmm. like sending it to Glasgow or something, you know, it's yeah, anyway. Pretty much. Yeah, it has to, There's it has a, to yeah. travel. Um, <laughs> anyway, so there you go. Yeah, well, the shipping costs are really gotten prohibitive from the U- UK to the US too, and I imagine vice versa. So it's, uh, the pandemic has taken its toll on accessibility of who stuff from yeah. the UK. Well, then, of course, in Britain, there's the whole Brexit thing, getting things from Europe into Britain as well. It's kind of mm. ridiculous. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I buy, I have been known to buy things from Italy and France, and it actually is actually getting near cheaper to get those, or not cheaper, but certainly easier uh, quicker to have them sent to America than to have them sent to Britain. No, yeah, no yeah. doubt, no yeah, doubt. Brexit and Amazon was talking about opening up an Ireland site to do English language stuff, but then right. avoid the whole Brexit mess. But I don't know what would ever happen to that. Uh, maybe they decided it wasn't worth their bother. Yeah, don't whatever. Know. Well, there you go. Without further, with the, so there's, there's that. <laughs> Got that over with. Extensive reta- retailing uh, adventures. Adventures in retailing. In retailing. <laughs> yeah. Well, with, the the pain is real. We live in a country where we some we have to try and import our favorite things about mm-hmm. our favorite show from another country. It's it's terrible. Well, it'd be a lot easier if they were going to release the same editions on the same date on both uh, North America and in the UK. Yeah. It would make my life a lot simpler. But seeing that there's a six to nine month gap between the release, often yeah. between for the no, release for of no the UK. readily apparent reason. Well, I'm sure yeah, there is a good it's reason. It's BBC America. They want to broadcast it, but they need to get off their duff and yeah. get it on yeah. when the shiny discs appear. Yeah. Well, and listen, don't but, get me started on B&M and the character option releases. That's just mm. a nightmare. Did you ever get your uh, Sarah Jane and Harry Sullivan? I do not have a Harry Sullivan. I was very, very fortunate to be gifted a Sensorites yeah. set um, <laughs> by my lovely wife, who'd organized that for me for my birthday. And then when I was in the UK, I and because I was actually doing quite a lot of traveling, um, I'd made it my business to go to B&M stores, which are awful. I, I can't really think of an American equivalent. They're like a, they're like a low-rent Walmart. If you can imagine a Walmart that's for like people who are poorer than usually shop at Walmart, that's what B&M is like. They're really kind of sketchy stores. And you're not guaranteed that the figures will be there. I must have gone to like 10 or 15 um, B&M's mm-hmm. and finally um, I managed to find one that had not only the sensor rights in stock but also I was looking for the um, for the Ian Chesterton mm-hmm. Keys of Marinus set as well and they had that set and I was able to pick that up which was very pleasing to me but did they have any Daleks? No they didn't. Mm. I don't know where the Dalek sets are being sold to be honest because they're not being sold anywhere near near where I was traveling. 
Yeah, I think scalpers sweep in and just buy all the special releases and yeah. then sell yeah. them off on eBay. Which, again, is difficult because, you know, the shipping costs to the United States are crazy. So, anyway, mm-hmm. whatever. There you go. And yep. if you, I, sorry, I continue to complain. And, uh, <laughs> you know, they are available from U.S. kind of specialist Who sites, but for, you know, $70 or so. Yeah, Who and A has them, but yeah, they're yeah. prohibitively expensive. Yeah. Everything, again, I mean, everything with Doctor Who is prohibitively expensive. Well, I mean, you pay 20 so, so they're nineteen ninety nine, so they're 20 quid in mm-hmm. B&M, so, you know, that's getting on for thirty dollars or so but then if, yeah. you, if you know a mark up to 70 is like well i'm not paying that so anyway right 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 there you go whatever okay all right stop but, but stop we secured our discs <laughs> and we watched evil Dalek. and uh how familiar were, were you with this story before getting into it did you get the, the john peel target novelization had you listened got, to the soundtrack yeah no i'm a, yeah, definitely no i'm aware of the so read the john peel novelization i'm kind of aware of the story i have dipped into some of the reconstructions a while ago i know the telesnaps quite well mm-hmm. um obviously episode whatever it is um two two two, two. Um, which still exists. Um, yeah. I know. I've you know. I've watched um, at least a few times. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty familiar. I'm pretty familiar. With, and it's you know, it's it's obviously it's a story that's very popular with fans. So you can right. kind of pick up by osmosis a lot of what it's about. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah. Um, how, how about you? Pretty familiar with it, uh, mostly through Telesnaps and through the uh, soundtrack that Fraser Hines narrated BBC release sometime in the early 2000s. So where where it's kind of fuzzy for me is where there's not a, a extensive pictures and then like where the action scenes are. So Yeah, exactly. Uh, which so is... that's where it's really great about these animations yeah. is it really helps fill in kind of that visual... Yeah. understanding of how the story works yeah i mean there are you know there's, there's that the whole um maybe we're jumping ahead of says but the whole kind mm. of you know jamie versus camel stuff is like well yeah. you know yeah it's like what what's going on mm-hmm. and also i mean also the the whole dizzy daleks thing as well which you know yeah is is hard to read if you're just listening to kind of the mm-hmm. clunking sounds of props banging into each other. <laughs> More Zarbies hitting cameras. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the so the visual animation for explaining what's going on, and I prefer to see animation than scrolling text on the bottom explaining what kind of visual plot development is going on. So yeah. it, it's yeah. very welcome. Uh, starting off with just episode one with Jamie and the doctor chasing after the lorry, taking away the TARDIS. Yeah, true. Unfortunately, that scene doesn't exist in its original format, but it was, it was again, nice to see the animation of our two heroes chasing after the TARDIS. So yeah, it, love it, it is being hauled away. Yeah. It just kind of sucks you in. And I did watch the uh, last 15 minutes of the Faceless Ones just kind of lead myself into the evil of Daleks. Oh, nice one. That's a good idea. The same team led by Anne-Marie Walsh did both of them and then have that nice continuity of, of styles. Although it did seem like they changed the models of Jamie and the Doctor quite a bit between the two stories. At least that's what it seemed like to me. You know, I don't know whether that's the case. 
I'm now interested to check. I mean, my assumption here is, you know, they come up with a doctor and a Jamie, and then that's the doctor and, the, and Jamie that they use all across the, you know, all across the animation stays them work. But, you know, maybe mm-hmm. this is a process of continually refining. I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, Martin Garrity does the character design, I believe, right? Is that, So, uh... yeah, I, I will have to check that. I said my assumption is that, you know, they kind of stripe all these across all the animations, but it said may, maybe it is a process of continuous refinement, mm-hmm. giving them the option, I guess, to go back and continually re-release as they continue to refine the technology or whatever. Anyway, yeah. Well, I think they will uh, come up with a special edition, and if if the uh, visuals, the, the original visuals are never found, I can imagine you know, in 15, 20 years, they'll come up with a new release of Evil that will have updated animation or different techniques. Yeah. Who, who knows? Immersive actors with Rogue One, uh, Peter Cushing type technique for the Grand yeah. Tarkin. Who yeah. knows? Why not? Why not? Well, obviously, I mean, obviously all of this is being assembled for a Blu-ray at some point. Um, mm-hmm. Within the next decade, I wouldn't be surprised if, if that is something yeah. that's happening. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, season 17, they're special for the Shada releases. They made it episodic rather than movie format, so they just yeah. recut it. So they'll do something different. They will, they will, they will. Mm-hmm. Um, did you watch it in black and white or in color? What's your preference for these? I opted for color since it was uh, the widescreen presentation, and I figured since it's all make-believe and pretend anyways, I'm just going to watch the whole uh, animation in color. I watched it in black and white. Um, oh, interesting. Did you yeah. uh, then opt for the surviving episode two then? No, I, I watched the whole thing in black and white, and then I went back and watched episode two. Um, mm-hmm. I was disappointed. I mean, I should. I mean, I'll probably watch this again. I mean, obviously, I'll watch this again. Yeah, so, you know, yeah. it's going to happen. But I was, dis- I was disappointed <laughs> with the widescreen of uh, Fury from the Deep. Um, mm. I felt that basically they didn't really use the widescreen. It was like, well, they're all standing in the middle anyway, so right. what the hell? You know, what's the point in this being widescreen? Again, with Fury, you know, they had the kind of guards just kind of like standing at the edge of the frame to, right. like, to fill it in, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, yeah, so I, I, yeah. I, I think color, I, 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 it's a shame... I I don't feel that they really use the widescreen that well in general. Mm-hmm. I like the color, but the the lack of use of widescreen irritates me. So that's mm-hmm. why I kind of mm-hmm. default to black and white. So I didn't really notice. Well, it's a different animation team. So I think they handled the widescreen a little differently than they did in Fury. Good. Right. And the sets with Grimdike Manor uh, are certainly more interesting than whatever they came up with the the control room and the refinery at for Fury. So I think there's more visually things going on even if you don't have a character or something off to the side. And I, I think it worked better than Fury in widescreen. I'd be very I mean I love I love the Gav Rymel sets and I mm-hmm. would be really I mean I would Color, I'd love to see what the milk bar, what the milk bar looks like. Um, so that would be a reason for me certainly watching at least episode one in color. Yeah, I think it is, it's definitely worth reviewing in color in this one. I did do a little uh, sampling here and there of the black and white, and I think I preferred the color in okay. with the evil of the Daleks. Well, that is that is this podcast recommendation then, listener. Watch it in color. <laughs> at least that's my recommendation. So. That's, and I'm not going to disagree with you. All right. So I think even in the tight shots where they're like looking at Kennedy's hand when he, they're taking the doctor's uh, photograph from it and stuff, they framed it well 
for widescreen and I can, it, you don't notice it's uh, deliberately left blank on either side so they can do a three by four right, right, um, right. or four by three or whatever standard right. uh, aspect ratio. The other thing I thought distracting with the black and white is the darkness and fading. And maybe it was just that my monitor was too low since I watched these on the, on the computer. Is There's a lot of darkening around the center part. So you have a, a kind of a fade off. And it was harder to see in the black and white than it w- was in the color. The, it, it just made the whole presentation darker on my computer screen. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I have to say I didn't notice that. I watched that on a on a TV TV monitor. So. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. There you go. There yeah. you go. So, what did you think of the presentation, the various sets and stuff? I mean, I've got two main comments. Um, the first of which is that I find it really interesting to watch episode two, the animation, mm-hmm. and then watch episode two, you know, the actual one. Right. And it's that's it's just heartbreaking doing that because obviously mm-hmm. the videotaped live action is so so much better and Troughton is such a subtle such a subtle actor right uh, it's just it's um, his performances are just uh, he's really amazing uh, and i think it's probably cliche by now but whenever you know any actor who's playing the doctor is asked who's your favorite they all go to patrick Trenton mm-hmm. because he's just he's just such a good actor basically so it is so that's that's very sad to see and uh, or sad to think that you know in all likelihood you know none of us are ever going to get to see you the, you know, the, the actual original performances right, right. Um, so there is a sense of disappointment in the figure animation mm-hmm. uh, especially with the facial expressions and again I'm not saying you know they, there's some way they can do this because there isn't really a way they can do this uh, I mean I guess you know yeah give it give it another 10 20 years or so maybe there'll be a a um, you know a Star Wars style way to de-age or put a deep fake blah blah all that kind of stuff. But right. um, so yeah, so that's that's disappointing. And in that way, really, what we're seeing is a you know it's an animated you know it's a tele it's a tele snap experience. You know you're you're seeing it animated, um, mm-hmm. uh, which is fine because that's the only way you're going to get it. But again, and I've said this before, it's so interesting. Whereas the the compared to the video the video tape you know the live action the human performances are kind of you know there's a crashing sense of disappointment the daleks are so much better animated than they are mm-hmm. in 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 live action <laughs> they're clean they're crisp their movements are smooth, smooth um yeah. they don't make any sound well i mean they do make sound but again you know the sound is not um directly linked to their movements Right. Whereas, you know, you watch them on the live action, they're bumping and clunking and bonking into things. Creaking, and right. Creaking, yeah. and, you know, you can see where they've repaired them. You know, mm-hmm. and their, their movements are like, yeah, this is someone sitting inside. <laughs> they're sitting inside a fiberglass and, carb, you know, and, and plywood object moving it around. Right. They've become incredibly unconvincing mm-hmm. compared to their computer animated chums. Which again is interesting to me because it's the complete opposite of of the actors who become incredibly unconvincing when when they're animated. Right. So the set and the, the sets them the sets also um, look fabulous. So they, I mean, they could be a bit more detailed. I think that it's hard to get a proper sense of depth 
and perspective with those computer generated sets um, that you get on, a, you know, they're, with, they're often too crisp. They're too crisp. There's no blurring. Mm -hmm. You know, the curve of the perspective which you get with using a lens is slightly different. Mm -hmm. They are in generally, in general, kind of less convincing, but they are very mm -hmm. good. And it's mm -hmm. clearly, you know, they spent a lot of time um, recreating as closely as possible what it appears what appeared on the screen or what appears to have appeared on the mm. screen. The fact mm -hmm. that they can actually go to Grimsdyke and, you know, have a look around, um, helps. notwithstanding that it's it's not an empty, not an empty set in, it's it, not an empty house anymore, um, I think helps. But um, mm -hmm. as I said, with the, the standout for me is the Daleks. And I, again, I think I made this comment when we were talking about Fury from the Deep, um, where I queried the choices that the Fury from the Deep animation team made in what they were faithful to and what they kind of innovated and I didn't understand right. why you know some things they changed and some things they hadn't with with evil of the daleks especially when we get to the scenes on scaro I would love there to have been more innovation in terms of right. the way they presented things I, I felt it was actually too faithful to I mean those again I've I've never seen you know I think the only the only uh, indication of what we what that really would have looked like those kind of onset cine camera shots and then also of course the telesnaps it mm -hmm. has always seemed to me a, a little bit of a letdown uh scaro mm -hmm. i would have liked there to have been more kind of cinematic filmic um kind of vistas and things but you know mm -hmm. anyway, yeah well, it's model work, and then you know you have a limited number of Dalek props in the actual recording of Evil the Daleks when Rob Ritchie animates the Daleks for the animation. You know you can have an unlimited number of Daleks, and the, uh, their movement's going to be smooth. And like you said, they are immaculate; they're they're in perfect condition, and yeah, you can beautiful. do do a lot more. So I think they walked a really fine line that production team on giving us a 1960s feel to the story and not going 21st century uh, sci-fi Dalek battle extraordinaire, which I kind of, in your camp, maybe that's the direction that they should have uh, egged it towards a little bit. I think they're damned if they do, damned if they don't. Yeah, they're going to have people who are going, well, you should stick closer to exactly what's on the screen, or you get people saying, well, you know, it's animation. Why not just go nuts with it? Right, 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 right. Especially since, you know, if you were t if you were being completely faithful to what was on screen, you would have had Mark's Daleks. Um, <laughs> That's true, yeah, for the for, model shots. For, 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 those, for those model shots, um, not mm -hmm. actual Daleks. And again, I think it's kind of interesting that watching the special features, no one actually really points out just how jarring that is between the model shots and the live action right. and the, you know, and the, and the full size shots. It's so obvious that, okay, these are not actually the right kind of Daleks. Right. In fact, I think it's interesting thinking about Rob Ritchie, you know, obviously they spent a lot of time recreating the ice cano scene model shots for Planet of the Daleks because those were Mark's Daleks and they looked crap. Yeah. So they redid that to yeah. make them into proper Daleks. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you know, already, you know, some of those scenes in the in the Emperor's throne room, um, they're already changing because right. they are making them into proper Daleks rather than Mark's Daleks. Or just, just adding Daleks. I think they only had maybe four or five Daleks to work with. So you had two black, two silver dome Daleks and 
you have to do everything with Tim Coons when he directed that scene. You know, had Daleks just going through open doorways again and again and again, circling around to make the appearance that you have more Daleks than you have to have to work with. Right. Directors, whether it's with doing the props or with the animation, you want this epic battle, which is supposed to be the end of the Daleks, the Dalek civil war that Whitaker had scripted. And how are you going to realize that? And I think it's in some ways easier to do now than it ever would have been to do in the 60s, just in terms of budget. And so what Richie and you know the producer, director, and Mary Walsh had to say is, well, how far do we want to push it? And I think it's that line. And maybe there is a special edition coming out when the Blu-ray uh, box sets release where they take it up to 11. It's one of the things that they could do. The other thing they could do is they could fix like just like minor continuity errors. Yeah. For example, the picture that Waterfield takes of the doctor and tears, and then the picture that you see in Kennedy's hand, those pictures don't align as a torn picture, and they're both of the right-hand side, so you never see what happens with the left-hand side of the picture. Right. Okay. So that, to me, is very distracting. Uh, but the thing that was super distracting is Waterfield's office. They have a framed photo on the background of, I'm guessing, someone's dogs on the production team. And I imagine right. it's a personal Easter egg, but it's so incongruous to the whole other, all the other paintings and designs right, for right. sets and every scene that had Waterfield in his office with that, that was that would that was just super distracting to me especially in black and white and yeah. so that was one of the reasons i sw- had switched to color cuz i i had watched this uh, tried to watch this in black and white when it first came out and it wasn't until this past week that i watched the whole thing started over watched the whole thing starting with um, the end of faceless ones in color right because i found that dog photo to be incredibly distracting. It is interesting, and I'm sure there's theses to be written about this, but I'm trying to think of another instance where this would be the case, and I don't think there is, actually, where you have a computer-animated show, Mm -hmm. which is exactly, in inverted commas, reproducing a live-action show. And to actually compare... I'd love there to be some kind of... Well, I guess there is. I could watch one on the computer and one on the TV or something, just to do a side-to-side and just see what the difference is. Because it's there's this, we, we've got so far to, uh, within the, and this is not meant as a, as a criticism, it's simply an observation. It's kind of bargain basement mm-hmm. animation. You know, this is not Pixar, Disney animation, right. and nor will it ever be. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, you've just got to hand it to the team who does this, that they do it so well. Right. But I think even even if you had a kind of Pixar level, there would still be a difference. And it's just so yeah. interesting to kind of yeah. see what the differences are. And a lot of it, I think, is to do with the quality of the tape, you know, and the quality of what we've got, what, the, the film of the tape, you know, and the blur and the movement. And again, the very, very slight perspective changes because of lenses. Um, all of that is mm-hmm. almost impossible to recreate as a computer animation. So if you're thinking of something that's completely faithful to what was original, that's really sort of not 
it's not possible and it's probably not even desirable in some ways. And if we take that as a, as a first principle, then again, our criticisms of the Emperor's throne room and the criticisms of, of Fury from the Deep, I think stand, you know, they just need to go for it. And we know what what a war looks like with Daleks because mm-hmm. we've seen the YouTube, the whatever the YouTube miniseries was. Can't remember what that's called now. Um, with the Daleks versus the Mechanoids. I mean, you know, we know it can be done. We know it looks awesome. You know, just do one of those because it's Daleks. Daleks being Daleks and being awesome and mm-hmm. being amazing and looking great. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, that would be my desire. They should just completely kind of, you know, balls to the wall, go for it. Um and I think it's so interesting. I'd love to be a fly on the wall on the original, you know, the, the 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 kind of production meetings for these for these reconstructions and how they decide what they're going to really push and what they what they're not going to push. Mm-hmm. I mean, the biggest contrast for me again on episode two was Waterfield's antique store and an antique shop, mm-hmm. which is you know has this kind of dusty, crowded, kind of decrepit feel to it mm-hmm. on tape. And as much as they try on the computer animation, it looks beautiful and clean and gorgeous and computer animated. Um, that right. works really well for the milk bar, um, you know, which which is supposed to look, I think, you know, clean and kind of nineteen sixties. But um, the, oh, the, anyway, co- the yeah. coffee shop. Yeah, so, yeah, coffee, coffee bar. Shop and, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I'm, yeah I'm, so I'm, I'm getting myself confused with um, uh, Clockwork Orange. Uh, it's a similar. <laughs> it has a similar vibe actually to me. With, the, with that big twiggy face. Mm-hmm. Sorry, yeah, with the coffee shop. Mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah. What did you think of the Garrity character design? That's good. I mean, I, I'm glad that, you know, they're shortening the arms. Um, <laughs> well, again, a different animation team. So know, this, this, yeah. is, this is the normal arm animation team. <laughs> yes, normal arms. We're back to normal arms. Um, great. I mean, I think they're good. I mean, it's, it's a kind of weirdly, um, you know, reading interviews with comic book artists who've worked on the, the the strip in Doctor Who Monthly for you know many many years you know the, the complaint always is that it's a lot easier to draw and characterize the older people so you know I think there was a lot of complaint you know when people had to start drawing Peter Davison that is you know whose face was just too young mm-hmm. to, to to give it proper expression yeah. um, and that it's a lot mm-hmm. easier to kind of work with people like Capaldi or Troughton on mm-hmm. a static strip right the reverse is true I feel for these animations the younger characters so Victoria and Jamie I feel is super effective because because they have young smooth faces <laughs> their expressions are relatively similar What's disappointing to me are the older characters, especially Troughton, who you know has such a huge range of expression and has such an expressive right. face. It's really not possible to animate that. They do as mm-hmm. good a job as they can, and it's you know it's a good enough job, but it's in no way reproducing the range of emotion uh, and the subtlety of emotion that an actor like Troughton can give. Mm-hmm. I thought uh, the best likeness that was captured was uh, Sonny Caldenas yeah. of, with Kemmel. I thought that was pretty spot on. The Ruth Maxwell, uh, Bridget Forsythe's uh, likeness, I thought was pretty good. Uh, like you're saying with the older older characters like Marcus Goring as Theodore Maxwell, not crazy enough, not mad scientist enough. You kind of would, 
I think if you could watch this, the, the if the video had survived, you'd see him going, getting increasingly more frazzled-looking, right. erratic, right. just more mad scientist as he got more and more crazed right. towards episode seven and just more disheveled. But he's really kind of suave and put together, and he you yep. never see his hair get frizzed out or yep. anything. And I think what I would have like to see is probably three different phases of his character where he's really tidy at the beginning in episode two but then uh maybe by five he's a little more crazy and by episode seven he's just you know frizzy hair and but again it's a cost saving thing you have then produce a whole new character kit or whatever so It it's uh, it's hard to see. I mean, essentially, I mean, you know, the the kind of character arc of both Maxible and Waterfield, you know, it's Frankenstein and Igor, basically. You know, it's a mad scientist yeah. and the mad scientist, you know, servant who gets him things, or actually, you know, mm-hmm. or Dracula and um, and Renfield. That that's the kind of arc, and those characters should get worse and worse as the story progresses right maxible is a mad scientist who starts to realize how mad he is and you know has a collapse in that way waterfield is a Mm -hmm. suave functionary of some kind who kind of breaks down under the the stress of the plot and we as you're quite right you know we we don't we don't see that Mm -hmm. because it's hard it's hard to do that it would be hard to do that as pixar and it's virtually impossible to do it as as you know, as BBC, whatever this is, you know, you effectively have two different character sets for each of those yeah. actors, um, and really to make it convincing, you'd want a middle transition state so you don't go all of a sudden turn a corner and wow, they're Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. You you need some kind of degeneration or that. Yeah. Uh, character falling apart no 100 percent. yeah and, and again i mean it's you know with mary scoring's hair his beard is i don't know how you'd animate that you know it is so yeah. crazy and i i would love yeah. to have seen it get more crazy properly yeah. but of course you know i said even even with a pixar level budget um i think that would be really hard to do mm-hmm. i mean i don't yeah, yeah. think if you were thinking about you're animating this from scratch you would have gone like why don't we give one of the characters a really crazy beard like you said no let's not do that because that's going to be too difficult so well i was glad that they put maxwell's top hat in there because that was kind of your signature character element and i was surprised pleasantly surprised because it's the same animation team that left off pauline collins uh character's hat. Oh, they did in, leave off her crazy in, hat, didn't they? Yeah. And uh, faceless ones. So I guess the hat technology in just the uh, year or two since we saw faceless ones <laughs> advanced enough. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so it, <laughs> um, it, you, you, you probably know the telesnaps better. Well, I know you know the telesnaps mm. better than I do. Had they reduced the incidence of Maxible's cheroot smoking? Because from what I've seen, he seemed to be continually smoking, but maybe they disordered that, you know, that's not something people sort of do anymore, so I don't know. If memory serves, he has big cigars, and then he has more little cigarellos. And right. so I think it's more uh, cigarellos at the beginning and more of the big cigar towards the end, but there's not a frame-by-frame right. frame, uh, capture of the telesnaps of, of every scene that... Uh, Marius Goring is in. I, I would have liked a lot more smoking from him. Okay. Um, I was looking for a kind of wreaths of kind of, you know, CGI smoke. Yeah. 
Um, well, special edition. Flapping around. I would have liked that. That would have made him more crazy looking if he was endlessly puffing away and like clouds of smoke <laughs> coming out. Yeah. With the animation, I thought they made some of the characters much more photogenic, if that's a word for animation, or much more attractive than they were like uh, Windsor Davies, who played Toby. He's, right. he's kind of a strapping buck there, and he's not that good looking in the presentation, at least going to telesnaps. And then Victoria... Uh, Deborah Watling, her face is really interesting because she looks different in every story because of just the way her face is made up and how expressive she is. So yeah, she seemed off to me a little bit, but she's hardly in the story at right. all. Yeah, though, I, I, again, I mean, I, it's, I, I think actually just going back to my kind of previous comment, the scene where she's introduced... When she's in the, you know, inverted commas, prison cell, you know, looking at the birds and, you know, the mm-hmm. Dalek comes in. And, and is, you will not be the flying pest. And is mean to her. <laughs> um, again, you know, it's the Dalek in the live version is so unconvincing um, and so prop-like and her performance is so good. Um, and then right. when you go to the animation version, the Dalek is so evil and smooth and just horrible and convincing. Mm-hmm. And the her computer animated self is so unconvincing. It's it's just really interesting to me. Yeah. And I think I think this is this is it's, again I'm, I'm going to keep on harping on to this. It is fascinating to me that this show that we enjoy so much continues to produce things that are thought provoking. I mean, there is no other. TV show where this is being done and there is no (laughs) other TV show where you can make these kind of comparisons and there is no other TV show which has a cast of humans versus a cast of robots. It's so interesting to me that the show even in its kind of ostensibly, uh, we're just doing a thing now, which is, you know, animating stuff that we threw away by mistake. It, this is actually a really interesting thing to experience. Mm-hmm. Over and above, it's great to have, you know, the soundtrack animated. The experience of observing that animation is, is an interesting experience in itself. I thought it was also interesting choices that they did with pacing. They did not try to speed things up. So you have these longer transitions, which may work better when you have an actual actor rather than an animated face to linger on to kind of see what they're thinking in her emotions. So by keeping the actual duration and letting it to be as stretched out or uh, room to breathe as it has, it did felt like in certain places due to the just the, the staticness of animation and animated faces that it felt a little like it was dragging in places. Yeah. Just yeah. which I don't think you would have gotten with you know. Granted, sixties television is not the same pacing as contemporary television, but it felt in some places like it was a little bit slower. They're waiting for things to uh, develop a little longer. And one scene that we have two different presentations for, we have in the telesnap reconstruction and we have in the animation, is when Jamie and Kemmel are climbing up to the balcony to rescue Victoria or to get to Victoria's room. We have two different ways of presenting that. And that scene is long and it feels long in both ways you do it, with the, whether it's the 3D animation and the telesnap reconstruction or with the 2D animation. It still feels longer than I think it would have felt watching it with live action. Right. So I think it's just a limitation of animation and then honoring the actual film duration that it took to uh, create live action. Right. 
Right, right, right. I think in that scene, again, the reconstruction makes more sense where the railing is being separated and you have Jamie trying to hold it together opposed to the animation where the rail is uh, splintering and it's just Kemmel trying to race against time. Right, so right. I think in that aspect, I would prefer the reconstruction. But it's just interesting little choices that they right, make. Right, right, right. Where are you taking those shortcuts to tell the story and move things along? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, I said, I just think it's interesting the choices that they mm-hmm. make. Yeah. I mean, I think there's an analogy here with, you know, the restoration of art, mm-hmm. the restoration of damaged pictures. And do you restore? Do you recreate? How much editing do you do? Do you make it clear what you've done to, to, to restore a picture compared to what's original? And there are a whole set of kind of standards that, you know, restorers use or don't use, depending on what the client requires. Right. And I think this is probably the only TV show um, or the only uh, anim- animated, the only kind of live action of piece of art object where these kind of ideas have relevance to. And again, I just love to sit in on those initial production meetings where they are, you know, reviewing the telesnaps or whatever in the camera scripts and uh, mm-hmm. et cetera to decide what they're going to do, you know, what they're going to cut, what they're going to enhance, what they're going to take down to compare, you know, this is going to be easier to animate. This is hard to animate, but it's vital for the story. Um, This is hard to animate, and it's not vital for the story, so we're going to cut it out. I just think those must be really, really interesting conversations. What do you think of the story proper, setting aside the animation? Oh, yeah, it's awesome. It's great. No, I love it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's full of incident. Um, I don't think it drags over over seven episodes, which is a lot of episodes. Mm-hmm. And you know, we all know that some of those seven episode Whitaker stories can drag a little bit. But no, I, I think it's great, uh, and the, I love the way that it moves from you know six swinging London to swinging Victorian house <laughs> to swinging Scarrow. You know, I mean, it's great. Well, with the swinging Victorian house. It struck me watching this time, it's really weird that Max Bull has a portrait of Waterfield's wife in his house, I think. That is weird. I hadn't thought of that, yeah. <laughs> sort of like, why would you have a picture of some other guy's wife in your parlor or... <laughs> I mean, it's a weird house in general. I mean, why would you have a dungeon suitable for keeping someone's daughter in in your house. Well, Maxwell gives quite the expression when Kemmel takes off his jacket in the laboratory. So maybe that dungeon has maybe, multiple yeah, uses. I, yeah, and you, and you have a house that's equipped with swinging knives. Yeah. And, and you know, it's like, okay, yeah, I guess this how ha- I guess Max, yeah, Maxwell's crazy. That's, that's the reason. He it has he's do- many you know, passions he's, in his life. Exactly. He's Dr. Frankenstein. He's absolute not Dr. Yeah. He has a Turkish wrestler on staff. Exactly. Hmm. Just because why wouldn't you have a Turkish wrestler on staff? Exactly. No, he's, he's a, yeah, he's, he's, he's crazy. And like, like all great Doctor Who villains, um, the only explanation mm-hmm. for his action, the only explanation that makes sense for his actions is he's nuts. Yeah, yeah. Basically, he is. He he is the Harrison Chase of. He uh, is. He's the ancestor of Harrison <laughs> Chase. They should have called Harrison Chase Harrison Maxtable and just had done with it. <laughs> you get that to continue. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, exactly. Harrison Maxtable. I kept trying to decide if the characters of Toby, uh, Arthur Terrell, and Ruth Maxtable were necessary for the story, or if 
if you could have edited it down, if cut cut them out. Now they add extra dimensions on what's going on, but I really don't understand. I'm, well, I'm not seeing the purpose of Toby right. very much at all as a just other as a side plot, just kind of showing how under Dalek control Arthur Terrell is. Yeah, and he's I, kind of the controller of Axtable at times, which Yeah, I mean he's kind of like a robo man kind of he analog. Is. Yeah. And yeah. you know the, the Daleks can you know the Daleks control people and it's horrible when they do that. Well you can't drink wine when you're Dalek controlled. I, I, I did learn that. Not. <laughs> yeah, I think it's one of those kind of episodic things where, you know, because this is a week to week show and you don't mm-hmm. ever get to see what was on the previous week. You're just going forward all the time. You know, you can right. introduce characters that seem like they may have something interesting to do, and then they just stop having something in it interesting to do, and you forget completely about yeah. them, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, so both Toby and Arthur, um, they're sort of fillers, but they're also sort of, oh, cool, maybe something's going to happen, and then something doesn't, mm-hmm. and because you've basically forgotten... After the after the after the the Jamie versus Kemmel fight, right. everything previous kind of goes away, and we get to the kind right. of the meat of the thing, which is okay, evil of the Daleks, goodness of the humans, the the Dalek factor versus right. the human factor, and everything we've been sort of mm-hmm. thinking about. I mean, I suppose you know, with with both with both. Of well, there's kind of a reprise of that then with when Jamie has a sword fight with Arthur Terrell, because again. You have human versus human with Camel and Jamie, but then you have human versus uh, Roboman, Dalek Automaton, with Jamie versus Arthur yeah. Terrell. So you are developing that, which I guess then Whitaker, being the skilled writer he is, he sets that up, then that's echoed then again, which you see on Scarrow, human Daleks versus yeah, true. True, true, Dalek true. Daleks. Yeah, and, and again, you know, maybe maybe that all would have been more obvious if we had the you know the original. The original images, you know, maybe there was mm-hmm. some subtleties in performance that we're forever missing here. But, you know, there's there's some really nice dichotomies going on, which I think work well. Yeah. yeah. So I think even though for the mainline plot, those three characters really aren't necessary, I think with, like I alluded to earlier, Whitaker's skill as a writer weaves in the themes and the ideas that he's trying to develop using those characters and even though they escape the destruction of Grimdike Manor and they obviously survive the story uh, except for Toby who's gunned down by the Daleks to show Daleks kill people so eh, you know Whitaker is no slouch of a writer so he has seven seven episodes it's not like a, a Terry Nation a story where it's just plot, 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 plot. There's, there's, there's subtleties of this. So maybe, maybe I'm rethinking my thought. Maybe these characters are more useful than not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, as I said, it's a week to week show, so you've got to get it to the, you, you know, you can, yeah, you got to fill up the time. Somehow. Yeah, you got to fill up the time, <laughs> and you, you set things up, and then you maybe you realize, oh, hang on, I set that up, but I don't really have the time to pull that one off, so I'm just going to ignore them. Who knows? Yeah. So watching the documentary about the making of evil and then reflecting on Pauline Collins or Deborah Watling's character between Faceless Ones and Evil of Dogs, it's really surprising that they went with Victoria because as it would show, there's she doesn't do much in the Evil of the Daleks. And there's not much for her to do throughout her time with the doctor other than be this traumatized young woman who's 
uh, has to witness horror upon horror right. and be put in and ever increasing circumstances of peril. Uh, she was almost converted into a Cyberman in, right. <laughs> into her next story. So she she would have been uh, Bill Potts, uh, Bill Potted. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so it's an interesting choice to have really someone quite so passive along. Right. And I think it would have been more, perhaps more interesting if Kemmel and Victoria had made it rather than wow. Maxtable's psycho kill, 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 kill at the end, which still seems implausible to me that he was crazed or Dalek enough that he could knock Kemmel off over the edge to his death. Right, 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 right. Which is is also something I, I just wonder how they would have filmed that to make it look convincing right, that right. Kemmel had fallen from a great height. How would they have shown it? So the animation here, I think, has a... Uh, a leg up right. over what they could could have done in studio. Right, right, right. Yeah, no. no so no. that's yeah. it. <laughs> I agree. So, oh, the one thing. Did you notice the chumbly? This is, this is. Uh, oh, the chumbly head. Chumbly yeah. on the top of the Dalek yeah. Emperor. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I mean, there, there's some continuity right there, you know. like Yeah, I don't so, know, the, the, yeah, so the, next time the, we should talk about the Galaxy 4. and Exactly. The Daleks conquered the chumblies and then cannibalized their corpses to build their emperor or something. Who knows? You know, James Goss, instead of doing mechanoids, could have done the Dalek Chumbly War, and that would have exactly. <laughs> built in, yeah, the, built the, in the, the continuity there. Exactly. You know, the Dalek throne room is kind of decorated with the bodies of their robot robot enemies. Yeah, big finish on that. Yeah, come on, big finish. Get 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 weaving on the that Dalek one. Dalek Chumbly War. <laughs> Dalek Chumbly War. <laughs> so, oh, goodness. So... It seemed like you liked this one. Oh, yeah. No, it was good. I liked it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I think they did an excellent job. And I'm, I'm not actually sat down and watched Galaxy 4 yet. So that's... Um, yeah. So yeah. you got your homework cut out for you for the next couple of weeks. I right? have. Definitely. 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 Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, cool. I don't think we have any serious disagreement on this one. Definitely a I keeper. I think we agree. Yep. It's a keeper. Exactly. All exactly. Right. Yeah, we. It's our recommendation of the week. <laughs> go out and get it. Yeah, watch the shine. It's a, even on streaming. If you go on Amazon, my other streaming services, but you can watch it in multiple forms for you younger people who don't like physical media. It's available streaming at least on Amazon, and who knows where Absolutely. else. Absolutely. <laughs> right. Cool. Well, thank you for listening to episode one ninety three of the Metabulous Two podcast. I have been. Uh, contemplating uh, the differences between live action and animation with Ben. And I have been thinking about a chumbly head. With <laughs> <laughs> David. Wearing a chumbly head as David. There you go. At Gallifrey 1, you got to have a little chumbly head. Uh, a little chumbly head, exactly. Yep. Yeah, chumbly cap. Everyone's wearing chumbly caps. Excellent. All right. Mm-hmm.